Well, hello and welcome to Prop Talk, the official podcast of the Property Masters Guild. I am your host today, Mikey Trudell, and hosting with me once again is Carissa Douglas. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Yes, um, of Ben Labs. Correct. Correct. We're adjusting to our new name. That's right. So, um, yeah, welcome. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure this is. I don't know what the episode number is, but I think the this. It's almost like a series because I'm pretty sure all three that we've done are going to be released uh, back to back to each other. Awesome. Awesome. It's it's fun. It's it's right now since we're not working, it's been really fun to get together and tell stories. And there are so many stories that each of you forget. You, you know, there's just so much. And I think we're coming off the heels right now from the Property Masters Guild tailgate party last Saturday. Oh, right, Saturday, right, right. Which... By the time this comes out, um, a couple months ago. A couple yeah, months yes. ago. We had, but... <laughs> and it was fantastic a couple months ago. <laughs> but having that opportunity to get together with like 600 friends, it was so unique because the upside of production's not shooting globally. People were in town. And it was a time for, I think, brothers and sisters and vendors and sponsors to all get together and actually, I don't know, it, it was a boost. It was a boost I needed. Oh, yeah. Seeing me too. friends. 600 like, people. Yeah. Yeah. 600 people was fantastic. Um, you want to bring in our guests? Yeah, so yeah, for, for sure. Yes. Two of my um, most favorite people. And when I was thinking about, uh, we've got Don Milojevic here, veteran mm. seasoned prop master, film and TV. I give Chris- her 20 bucks every time she says it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Chris Hansen. Chris Hansen, you are new, fresh blood that's coming in, you and Mikey. And that's why yeah. I think it's a great combination to have um, different perspectives in this. But it was interesting because Chris and I, we only met a few years ago. Right. And from the get-go, and Don, you've always been this word that I'm going to say, you're just so kind. Like, both of you are just kind and um, even-tempered. And I think those are really important skill sets to being a prop master. Well, you got to say being mean. So so, it means something. Well, you weren't mean to me, but yeah. No, well, exactly. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. What do you say, what do you yeah. say if you're, what do you say if you're mean for? What you have examples of those where you really need to assert cuz both of you are very kind and even tempered. Not necessarily mean, but where you draw the line on something. Yeah. Where they ask you to do something that you just can't do. Um, and and you just have to say absolutely not. You can replace me. You can scream at me. You can do whatever you want, but it's not going to happen. Yeah. I'm, I'm mean about safety, mm-hmm. and I am mm. blunt yeah. about deadlines. So yeah. as we get, you know, I start prep very friendly and nice. And as you get closer <laughs> and closer, it's not, I'm not, we're not having the same discussion anymore. Yeah. I don't not show up with the props. So as far as I'm concerned, the, the more you get in the way of that, the more I'm exiting you from the conversation. I'm just going to do... You're taking more seriously. Well, because I get fired if there's no prop there in the day. Right. That's the golden rule of prop mastering. Right. No prop, you're gone. So as far as I'm concerned, like... And you also lose it if there's some safety disaster. Exactly. And a director at some point or another or an actor will always want to do something a little extra that you just can't do. So I think this is actually a great, if we can dive a little bit deeper into this, because there are students who are maybe film students. We have new people in the craft who are listening. Um, you know, how It can be very intimidating to put your foot down and say, no, you can replace me. Like, how do you do it? You really said, Mikey, do you, do you guys really say no in front of a crew of 70 waiting? 
Has that ever happened to you? Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. It was specifically on Hateful Eight when uh, uh, Quentin wanted to uh, have Sam when uh, uh, he's shooting at, uh, what's the old actor there? It's terrible now. Um. We're, we're going to look it up. To, see, because you've done you've done so much that yeah. the files are all full. You know, no, 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 he actually, wanted to, to, to shoot point blank mm -hmm. uh, within six feet, straight at him, and go from behind and see the gun go to, with a full load. And I just said, no, you can't do that. We can, you can shoot at Kurt him Russell? with uh, not Kurt um, Bruce Dern. Bruce Dern. Okay. And I said. I'm not going to let you kill Bruce Dern today. Yeah. <laughs> not, not today, Quentin. Not no, today. Or any day. And I, you know, said it to him, looked at uh, Sam Jackson, looked at Bruce, and said, you have to do this a specific, specific way. You have to do this behind Lexan. You have to do it a, a certain distance and the gun off a certain way. And Quentin started screaming at me as to how I was going to screw up his movie and <laughs> just starting out and... Was this how it's going With to be? With a gun thing, too, huh? Yeah, and I Jeez. just said, sorry. <laughs> Not killing Bruce Dern today. Yeah. That's the way it Your is. Your Canada came out a little I bit. I know. Sorry. Oh, it is. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's and what's funny. Uh, not funny, but, you know, the rust thing, and a lot of people ask us about that and how that can happen. And the truth is you constantly get pressured about safety with weapons. Mm -hmm. And uh, as it stands, legally, I'm liable for the weapons. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know... If I don't want to make a giant scene, I just go around people. It's usually the first AD. Mm -hmm. You know, unfortunately, uh, the person who's supposed to be in charge of safety, I usually get into arguments with. And I just, look, I'm from Arizona. Everyone has a gun in Arizona. <laughs> so it's just, to me, the idea of not checking a gun, mm -hmm. not following basic gun safety, is just kind of ludicrous. It's dumb. It'd be like, I don't know, not putting the brake on in your car. You know, you just like, right. why would you do that? So if I don't think someone's going to be safe and it's a job I can't be a complete asshole about, um, I've already checked the gun five times before it gets to you. And if it's something like with Don, you know, what, what you're talking about, I'll just say, okay, if you want to do it that way, then fix it in post. Like, why are we having this discussion? Right. You know, why are we going to risk shooting an actor well, what's, to save the post cost. What you're both talking about, too, is the nature <laughs> of your business is your problem solvers. So you're saying, no, you can't do it this way, what, but let's do it this way. You're coming with solutions. Yeah. So you're and, not just throwing a fit for no reason. Actually, you know? before yeah. the end of production, our one of our effects men came up with a blank that didn't have much of a sound to it, but it had a, a, a fair amount of flame that came out of it. And you could basically go to within three, three, four feet of it. And we used that when they were shooting right. uh, uh, Minnie in the face and the other yeah. people and stuff <laughs> like that. Even though she had actually a metal piece over her face and then a rubber face over that. There's a lot of safety precautions. A lot of safety <laughs> yeah, for yeah. that. But we did uh, develop a kind of blank that at least gave them some flash. But the truth is, it can be done digitally now. Right. Yes. And you have, to learn, you have to learn that stuff. You know, yeah. I was so afraid on my first uh, show where I was in charge of stuff. And I probably wasn't as on top of safety at that point. But what I was afraid of was something going wrong. So I overcompensated. I just killed myself to make sure it was safe and just said, you know, I'm not going to deal with these people. But, you know, nowadays it's, 
you go to the producer. You just say, mm-hmm. hey, man, you know, if the, if the AD is not listening or if an actor is not listening, you go to the person who's in charge of the money mm-hmm. and it matters to them. And if you're on a major motion like studio, you better believe studio safety wants to know uh, that an, an actor is going to get shot. And now especially, <laughs> now especially yeah. after yeah. us. Well, yeah, it's going to open your eyes a little bit. Yeah, but it. it's it's also with knife. You know, with knife knives are another big one. Right. And yeah. before we retractable, right? Yeah, they're retractable, but now they can just put the blade in digitally. You don't need. That's <laughs> we talked about that a little bit last <laughs> yeah. episode. Yeah, there's, we're like uh, I, I'm I'm like single handedly changing half of the kits at ISS <laughs> right. because every, cause they always come with two rubbers and every right. single time a kit goes out with us, I was like, can I cut one of these in half? I cut, they're like, well, yeah, yeah, that's fine. So half the ones you get have a cutoff blade now because everybody puts it in digitally. That's how we do. <laughs> oh, and, and the last one, the How to Be a Bookie, it was I had to do some serious talking to them to actually allow us to use blocked barrels just yeah. so you could see brass come out. Mm-hmm. And they were not going to do that at all. And I just said, well, how much does it cost you to do that digitally as opposed to just the flash? And yeah. Then, well, here it is. Now you can have it. Nothing comes out of the end. You get all your brass coming out. It's safe. Uh, yeah. Before we move on, can I just... <laughs> oh, we're not moving <laughs> no, on. I, I would say about putting your foot down and Hateful Eight, there are two things that I think everybody in the whole prop world wants to know for you. Um, another thing about putting your foot down is the guitar. Yes. Because <laughs> that's a famous story oh, yes. in the prop world. Is it's this, an urban legend this now. This priceless guitar. <laughs> yeah. Get it? Did you put your foot down for that? <laughs> I, well, actually, uh, I first put... Uh, that was in a 1872 guitar. It was a, a real a, 1872. It was a Frankenstein. It was, which means it was put together from various other guitars. So right. it wasn't the original guitar, right. but it was of that age. Uh, I purchased uh, an 1890 uh, Martin that was virtually identical. Yeah, you couldn't tell the difference looking at it, and we had four smashers. That like breakaways were, that were built pretty much. No, they we ha- they were actual uh, parlor guitars. Oh, okay. That. They were about a quarter inch. The body was a quarter inch slightly wider than the rest. But after we painted it, changed the, the fre- like changed all the, 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 the tuning things and all of that stuff like that, Yeah, it looked absolutely the same. I put the 1890s guitar in Jennifer Jason's hand. Okay. <laughs> and she started playing that, and we went through rehearsal, and we did a take, and Quentin goes, there's something off here. He said, is that the real guitar? And I said, no, it's the, it's the 1890s one. He goes, it doesn't sound the same. I go, well, you can add that in post, sir. <laughs> <Right>. and, <laughs> he, got, he got really angry, and he said, just give her the guitar. And I said, well, we're not smashing it. We're not, we're, all, we're not smashing it. The four smashers are all lined up there. And that, the, the real guitar was a loner, right? Correct. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he finally gets the take that he wants Jennifer Jason Lee, her reaction to Kurt grabbing the guitar. And then Kurt smashed the guitar. Now, <laughs> he knew the, the smashers were there. He knew this was not to be smashed. Whether it was the dolly grip or somebody there did tell me that he heard Quentin say to them, say to Kurt, smash the guitar, and like when I give you the okay that I've got this. He did it for the reaction on Jennifer Jason Lee's face. And that she reaction knew it was of her, real. <laughs> yeah, and she loved that guitar. She loved playing it and all of that. And then um, <laughs> I, 
I just remember being so stunned, and we called up Martin. They were willing to send us another guitar at that point. To was your onset? Were you on set when that was happening? Yes, I was. Were on you set freaking out? No, I, I was. I was really angry. But yeah. what are you going to do? Yeah, you, you start. You, yeah, and um, <laughs> and the producer came by to try and say I had not told them, and everybody knew. So I, I felt very badly about. It. And then one of the other producers said, "Well, tell Martin for." 50 or 70 grand will have the cast sign the guitar and give it back to them. <laughs> sign the Smashed pieces. Up. Smashed up. Because they had done that with some electric guitar from some other gal mm-hmm. or something. So they would give them smash up pieces back and they would pay them 70 grand? No, no. They wanted they Martin to pay to production. Pay. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we just broke your guitar, yeah. but pay us more? <laughs> yeah. No. Oh. Hey, uh, audience yeah. who doesn't work in the business, the, the, there's a strike going on because of people <laughs> like this. Just so you know. So, I, I've read so much stuff online on Facebook and everything about, oh, the guy probably wasn't there. Uh, you should have given him a different guitar. I did all of those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I never would have, again, I put the 1890s guitar in her hand. Other than the sound, you could not tell the difference. He could have used one of the fakes. You could not tell the difference. Did you guys have to pay an L&D, though? Or what, what was what was the final outcome with The final this? outcome, unfortunately, is the fellow who loaned us a guitar from Martin lost his job. Oh, my God. And that's that, my oh world. No. I'm in product placement. No. It would mean someone that, lost their job. That really, really bothered me to no end. And oh my I, God. I have to say, working with Quentin is... <laughs> it, it's both wonderful and horrible at the same time, sort of. Yes. Yeah. For instance, uh, throwing a gun down to the ground off camera. Uh, first of all, I threw a piece of metal, and he goes, "What's that?" I go, "Well, it's the sound of something hitting some piece of metal hitting the floor." He goes, "No, I want the gun." So I got some old gun, threw it to the ground. He said, "No, no I want the gun." Yeah. I said, "Well, the gun is borrowed from the NRA museum and from a private collector, and has original gutta percha grips and this and that." insisted that one had to be thrown to the ground yeah. for the sound of it broke the grips broke the sight off of it my takeaway was <laughs> if i ever had the chance to do another movie with him i would buy everything yeah the, the hammer <laughs> yeah. that they hammer the door closed with right was a, uh, over a, and over a hand over. forged <laughs> hammer from the 1700s oh my god he kept that hammer <laughs> yeah i had to pay three and a half thousand dollars to the owner of that hammer who will never ever rent or loan to me yeah. again? So yeah. like that's the thing had, about Martin. If we had either. video, all of my, at least my mouth is wide open. I just caught myself. <laughs> no, like, and, and but at the same time, it's wonderful to work with him. It's movie making in the grand yeah, old style. Sure. There's no uh, uh, there's no playback. Uh, there's no monitors to look right. at. You want to look at it? You look through the camera. You're truly making a movie the way I started in the right. business and, and making it that way, and it's wonderful. So it's – and it was specifically after he broke the grips and everything off the uh, the one gun where he turned to the uh, the continuity uh, fellow, and he said, he says, I love to torture Don. <laughs> With a big smile on his face. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, my mouth is agape because <laughs> as the product placement person on this call, like this is – when we work with brands, and Chris was on Shameless, so that's yeah. a pretty edgy show too. When 
I tell our brands, if, if we don't know the partners on set, like if we don't know you and we don't have a trust between them, I would decline participating in certain mm -hmm. projects because you really truly are the ones doing your best to keep us out of those situations. Now, these are some outliers, but um, yeah, there's certain Ryan Murphy that, you know, there are certain mm -hmm. storytellers that are, you know, really don't want to compromise their art and that's part of the process. So and if you want to be involved as a brand, right. just know this could happen. Is, you know, I always, I always give a disclaimer when I'm getting product placement is just look, I, it, it's not a safety thing. So I don't get to say no, I don't get to, if, if the guy wants to shove your, your, item up his ass on camera mm -hmm. sorry uh you can edit that but because i did I shameless <laughs> no, but i mean you know he's just he's hey. like i love how i said you did shameless and the first thing he thinks of is shoving something but that well, would be but, shameless but that's, so you know <laughs> to be fair there are a lot of sex toy companies that are very happy yes. giving their stuff right. so. so i mean yes. you know i don't my creative input is if how the prop fits a character mm -hmm. it is not i do not I would not work if I started okay. telling directors in the middle of the show, oh, well, you can't do that. Sure. Now, there are times that I'll pipe up, you know, if if an eight-year-old is going to grab a beer, Yeah. it's like, hey, guys. You can't do that. We can't do yeah. that. That's a, that's, if you say, if you fight me on this, mm -hmm. the, the network is going to say something to you. Like, that is not just a me thing or my brand thing. Right. That is like a whole lot of lawyers. Right. <laughs> so like there's legal reasons you can't do certain things. And, you know, as a prop master, you kind of, you know, oh, there's a kid scheduled for the day and they're around the beer fridge. I have fake beer. Yeah. Like, you just kind of get ahead of it. But, yeah. you know, in like the case like Don, it's like you can't win because you don't want the fake. Mm -hmm. He wants the real deal. And if you fight him too much, it's like you're... <laughs> Let your replacement know how it was on the way out. <laughs> no, and, and, and again, <laughs> with know? guitar, everybody had discussed it. The first AD, they, again, they were all lined up and waiting. Um, there was no misunderstanding. Yes. Aside from um, weapons, because we've talked about weapons with safety or putting your foot down, you bring up safety a lot. Is there anything outside of weapons that you've really had to, like, you felt, you have an example that you really had to put your foot down and you felt because it was... I mean, it just happens over time. You know, when I worked as... So for people not in the business, you know, there's a set master, especially in television. You're, there's the on-set master and then the property master. So when you're the on-set, you are the representative. Like for television, the prop master is prepping two episodes at the same time generally. You, you mm -hmm. come to set, you open set, you make sure everything's there, and then you go away. Mm -hmm. And you trust your person to run the set for you. Um, and they'll call you with questions or if the director is particularly interesting uh they're gonna go well where's chris i want chris here i don't know who you are even mm -hmm. though they, they they do it's just yeah. it depends on the personality the point is is um you have to learn in that role to to really protect the props because there's a first ad with a schedule in front mm -hmm. of them and they don't care they don't care i've had them plenty of times tell me they do not care they'll break a prop you have one of they'll so as far as safety goes, guns and knives are obvious, mm -hmm. but like, what if they're chucking a cell phone at someone's head? Right. What if they're, you know, all of a sudden they want a background to hop on a skateboard? Right. You know, you have to, it's frustrating, but you kind of have to be the safety police because, uh, not the, but it's fine until he gets hurt and then mm -hmm. everybody starts to ask questions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So you have to cover your ass because you really do. That's a that's a good example though with the skateboard stuff too because I you read that in a script like the first question is all right there's gonna be a stunt coordinator there on the day yeah with mm-hmm. that the handling all that stuff because I'm not responsible that's for right. anybody so, on the yeah. skateboard. So when I go through a, when I when I go through a, a a prep meeting you know and reading the scripts part of your job is to say you know you need to hire a skateboarder. Mm-hmm. You need or a stunt hire, coordinator. Or yeah. stunt, yeah, well, yeah, you yeah. have a stunt coordinator, but that's you need to hire a skateboarder. Or you know, oh, you have somebody playing piano, hire a musician, please, mm-hmm. or it's going to look really dumb, and you're going to waste a lot of time. And like, I can get you a piano; it won't work. Mm-hmm. Or you know, or a guitar. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, a lot of it is trying to th- having to think around other people's uh, uh, expedience. So. And it's not just the safety factor, too. There are things where you feel... I get really personally involved in the selection of the props. And I have very strong ideas about that. And yes, there's what the script says, and there's what the director asks for, and what the actor asks for. But in my mind, sometimes that not is not necessarily the correct prop. And so part of my struggle is to get what I feel is the absolute correct item on camera and past their budget, past their whatever it is that they have against it or whatever they have, to, whatever idea they have. For instance, at the beginning of Mission Impossible 2, the the script, uh, while he's climbing the, the rock mm-hmm. face, uh, the script has a brightly colored package on a parachute just drifting down, which he opens and he has his glasses with his mission. I had watched uh, all of those Mission Impossible shows, Mm -hmm. TV shows as a kid, and the opening was always a threat to your main guy. You thought something was going to happen. And so the idea was, as this helicopter comes by to drop the package, I thought it should be something where you feel like they're about to target him. So my idea was that they should have a shoulder-fired rocket that they're shooting down, he pulls the tail open. That's his sunglasses or his glasses out of there that he gets his mission from. It's iconic. <laughs> and <clears throat> um, John Wu, having worked with him a few times, the beauty of, beautiful part of working with him is, is that he would allow you to do what you felt was the right thing because he trusted you. Once he trusted you, right. he'd give you the green light. And even to the point of, it was in Broken Arrow where the designer wanted a certain kind of bomb and John wanted a certain kind of bomb. So he said, well, you start the bomb I want and let them do theirs. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing on Mission where he said, well, you start making your project and we'll do that. And I've literally had phone conversations with Tom who was in Australia at the time and he'd call and he'd talk about it. And then, then he wanted to change the package to like one of these capsules, like it's in those pneumatic things and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Oh, cool. And... I continued with my thing, and then it came to light, and it was, is it Kathleen Kennedy, the producer, or whatever? Yeah. I remember yeah. she's in this thing, she says, wait a minute, now, I understand there's two projects going on here. Why are we spending on two she projects? the money woman. And she goes, <laughs> what does Tom want? I put on my hand, he's, he wants the rocket. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we made the rocket, and then they said, well, you'll never see it fired, don't bother, but I made the, the shoulder fire thing. It's in the movie. Nice. <laughs> he shoulder fires it. It goes there. And, and on the day, <clears throat> I wanted to show Tom. And of course, he's in his bus. And 
So I go out to the bus, I start knocking on the door, and his, his brother comes to us, who's his assistant, but mm-hmm. pretends he's not his brother, but I know it's his brother because we had worked on a cocktail <laughs> with him, and I knew it was his brother anyway. And he's going, well, Tom can't be talked to now. So I, I grabbed a bunch of stones and I threw it at the side of the bus and I held up the rocket and pointed to it. <laughs> <laughs> but like kids at home, Hollywood at home, this is why the Property Masters Guild exists, right? You yeah. created and interpreted a whole story point that opens up a, a, a prop that's so critical in opening a story, weaving in the history of Mission Impossible, right. But, right? And bringing it to it. It's not just shopping. I get very passionate. I'm not a prop person, but I've worked with prop people for three decades. And you're my family and my friends. And I, just from the product placement perspective of knowing how an actual product can bring a story to life in the same way. Um, you want the right is, thing. Y- and yeah, and the opportunity is, to create is, is, is the real joy that I have from it is to, and it's not always, oh, I've got to think of something that's not in the right. script. That, that's not it right. necessarily. It's just, what is the right. absolute correct prop here? You got to find, you got to, so, spoiler alert for Shameless, uh, uh, Bill Macy dies. Um, so, they were back and forth on whether or not you were going to see an urn. Mm-hmm. We weren't sure if he was going to have an urn and if he was going to be cremated and all this stuff. But initially there was, and, you know, with the... I, I wish people at home really understood how short TV prep is. Right. Like, you you don't have time to go backwards. So once you started shopping... How, sh- how short was the... I mean, they had to do pr- two prop masters on that, but that's an HBO show, right? Or is it uh, Showtime? Showtime. Showtime. Which, on say, par... I would say we had nine days per episode, something like nine days, something like that. But, but you, you got that while they were shooting... The other episode, yeah, right? Yeah, but you know, you have to wait till you get the script, and then the director's right. not always on. So sometimes you're staring at a script and a breakdown, and you're not allowed contractually to talk to the director. Oh, I know. And so you know, <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> it's, but it's so you know. Um, actually, listening to one of your previous episodes, not to get off topic here, uh, somebody brought up how old school prop masters just get the prop. You know, don't don't. If you're waiting for approval, you're you're done. Um, I find that's a 50-50 split. Some directors, no, come talk to us. Other directors are like, why are we talking about this? Uh, is, or it's a mix of the two. It's, it's depending yeah. on how busy they are. And it's like they've got other concerns. And it, it just make sure the right thing's there and don't bother. Exactly. You know. Uh, so I would sell, you know, with Shameless, I would, I would come up. I would say, this is what I'm doing, yay or nay. You know, but I had already ordered things. Things were already happening. Because if you didn't get ahead of stuff you know, it was going to bite you in the ass. Right. So, you know, with the, with the urn, um, it's from Walmart. Um, <laughs> but in, in, but that's on brand. It's on brand. Yeah, and so initially, you know, doing my research, uh, if you don't buy an urn when they cremate you, they send you home in a cardboard box. They also have plastic urns. So there is like a plastic, like $5 option that for some reason you can say, yeah, I didn't like my dad. Like yeah. Stick them in the <laughs> stick them in the box. But you know, I offered these up, but you don't offer things you can't live with. So those were those options. I actually brought a couple, but everything was cheap because it's like yeah, this, Walmart. This dude, it's this but it's dude, the family too. Right, it's right. the family. They don't like the guy. Yeah, they barely stand him. So it's like, what would they? say if somebody called them from the hospital being like hey your dad died what do you want to do with them and it's just like 
<laughs> and, I, and I have to say that I was so jealous of you doing that, having done the pilot for Shameless. Oh, oh, I felt bad. You know, I, I tell people, I've known every prop master on Shameless, because I knew Don did the pilot, Rick Kearns did a majority of Shameless, and then Mike Lindsay came in, and that's who I worked with was Mike. So it, it was really funny. The, Shameless alternated between it being a two-prop master show and, and a one-prop master show. It's, and that was like the John Wells model. Yeah, he John Wells. That's... ER and, and right. uh, he's yeah. Southland. I don't, did he do that? I can't remember on Southland if he had one. I think it was just one from Jamie Zemanski. But when you watch films and TV shows, do you go through that process when you're watching a character and say, oh, they wouldn't have that cheap? Do you stop yourself sometimes? I... I mean, personally, I like to be an audience member. You know, mm-hmm. I moved out here because I like film and TV. So sometimes people go, oh, well, I didn't really like, oh, this superhero movie wasn't very deep. And I'm like, yeah. Or no. like they wouldn't have I know. that watch. But as far as the props go, yeah, every once in a while, I'll be like, why does that guy, why does that guy have a Rolex? He works at a gas station. But, you know, I, I then I go, well, I'm sure the actor was there for three days. Mm-hmm. to help get financing for the movie. I'm sure the prop master walked up with a Casio and said, hey, I got a watch for you. And he said, I'm not wearing that. And that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> or, because what are you going to do? Or maybe this gas station attendant just saves up every dime they have right? just because they're a watch guy. Right. I saw Chippendale's The True Story. Because <laughs> I mean, and that's the other thing is, you know, you can sell stuff all day long, but um, the actor is actually the orbiter yeah. of what goes on their body. And I've seen people have bad days because they didn't check. Right. Oh, trust know. me, brother. I <laughs> and with the costumes, of course, you have the to clear with the designer. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you want to be part of the look. So part of your job, if you're a new prop master, you got to realize is, because I started in theater in college, is ask for a look board. Mm-hmm. That's how they got the costume look. Costume spends thousands and thousands of dollars on looks. They're not going to go shop something unless it's approved. So, I mean, they do, but not... But they that's have your an idea. cue to when you see what they're right. what they're dressing them like as to what the accessories are going yeah. to be like. Exactly. On, on Face Off, I remember before going to meet Jeez. Nick about to right. Uh, He's just throwing them all out, and there's more to discuss his his props. And uh, I went to Ellen Mirajnik, who's the costume designer. I said, "Can you show me what you're dressing him as?" And it was like super pimp daddy. I'm going, "Wow, this yeah. is like really this is not like normal regular right. stuff." And John Woo and Rock Galati, the, the, the gun guy, had picked a plain Rock, black. Rock was the gun guy on that? Yeah. Oh, had, no he, way. he was John. Well, he still is John's uh, uh, weapons guy. Yeah. And they had picked a plain black 1911. And sure, that's all fine, except when you saw the clothes this guy's wearing, you're going, no, it's got to be something special. Yeah. It would be and, double gold guns, yeah. definitely. Well, <laughs> that was actually... <laughs> yeah, pearl handles. No, I, I was I was uh, sitting outside the, uh, uh, the magazine stand at uh, Laurel and Ventura there, and there was some gun magazine, and they had uh, uh, one of these match pistols, 9mm, on the cover, or 45s or whatever like that, and I thought it had all these vents, and I thought, wow, that's really cool. So I, I bought the magazine, and when I met with Nick to discuss his props, I said, you know, they, I saw your costume. I, I, I really think you should have a fancier gun. I said, what about something like this? He goes, yeah, that's good. He says, and make it gold. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I then, want two of them. You know, and then we started discussing sort of various stuff that he wanted, and he wanted some, some stuff that was kind of Egyptian and stuff, some was this. And I said, well, let's settle on one thing <laughs> 
<laughs> one sort of theme, and it was the dragon theme. Yeah. So that's how we settled on it. It's dragon money clip, the dragon logo on the gun. And I, I went down to Chinatown, and uh, this Cambodian jeweler sent me over to the... Uh, uh, the bookstore in Chinatown, and I got various books on dragons, and we picked one, and he made the thing for oh, the guns, cool. <laughs> and Rock got them uh, plated and stuff like that. And then Galco, I was trying to put together a holst- two holsters together for that, and I called up Galco and said, We're, uh, let me send you what I'm doing, but it'd be nice to have something that's a double holster, and they made that double holster and of course (laughs) there's that beautiful shot where he's walking along the tarmac there and they blow up his the back of his coat and you see the guns (laughs) and the thing Mm -hmm. and it's like yay (laughs) when I I, when I first started I was like 22 or 21 when you did face off and I was at the catalyst group Mm -hmm. and we had Luxottica at the time and I just remember I do remember you guys coming in, and I don't know if you remember the Catalyst group. It was all yeah. blonde women. Yeah. Um, but they were all just... It's Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, but because of the eyewear, was you, you did so much for eyewear in that film for a lot of the, the Luxottica brands. But I just remember all the excitement and uh, around Face Off, especially maybe because we had so many great placements from the eyewear. But I just remember it. 90s were oh, a fun bet. time in yeah. films. All the action films. Yeah, in the 90s. I've been I've been on my other show, Failing Hollywood. Go check it out. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've been we've been going through a series right now where I, where we're actually ranking like all the Nick Cage movies. So in the past month and a half, I've seen 52 Nick Cage movies. <laughs> I know my letterbox looks like a crazy person <laughs> right now. I'm always going back to the va- to we, Valley. We got Girl. a candle. A wow. candle for him too. <laughs> so Valley, Girl, Valley Girl, Valley Girl. Oh Valley Girl. my God, that movie's <laughs> atrocious. <laughs> but yeah, it was. Uh, I do have a big question though: is did you ever have to handle the actual faces? <laughs> um, no, that was um, special that effects was makeup. Special effects makeup. Yeah. Who had built it? We we built the. Uh, that sort of tub where the face goes into yeah. after, and which uh, that's a pretty cool the, like kind of case there. No, it was uh, all of that stuff. The uh, the mask. It was actually a, a dental arm uh, that we used for the, the mask goes on the face when they they cut around with the the laser and that little pan of a laser was a, an actual real medical laser. Oh, cool! Worth hundreds of grand. Really? Like, I, I remember the guy. He brought it to the set at Paramount. And I'm saying, well, is this a real laser? It's going to blast be, their face <laughs> off. And he says, oh, yeah, watch this. And we're in the parking lot. And he, he <laughs> points it across the street. He says, see that car over there? And suddenly the front tire goes pop. <gasps> no. <laughs> no. It's a true they'll, story. Yeah. They'll never know. <laughs> I said, I won't turn it on. No. <laughs> so you just nod your head and then you pull the batteries out of the thing. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> We're just talking about putting your foot down about safety. This definitely exactly. cannot peel your whole face off. <laughs> Which, by the way, uh, young prop masters, this is why you can't let people take things off your prop cart. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Get it in your head. You know, <laughs> Things happen. Man, my mouth's open still. Again, you keep putting me in this position where you're, I'm gobsmacked. I mean, but these are things now that would be replaced by technology, right? Or, you know, you had to do these, like, practically. Yeah, I mean, the the, what was digital, of course, was the little laser effect on the thing and a little bit of smoke coming off as they do it. But now there's just... But you have to be, you have to be ready for the practical conversation. You should always have digital in the back of your head, but those are checks you can't Mm -hmm. really write. That's, you know... 
You can't just say, oh, spend $12,000 more right here. But so you have to approach things from a pragmatic point of view. So you're not saying no, but if I go into a, a meeting and they're asking for something hyper complicated in two days, it's like, sure. well, guys, I'll get you the shell right. and you're going to add it all in post. If I had three weeks, yeah, I'll make some phone calls. Maybe, but it's still, if you can do it realistic, if you can actually do it in camera, that's uh, that's my favorite thing is to try and do something. Oh, yeah, me too. They say, oh, you can't do it, you got to do that digitally. Yeah, well, maybe not, you know, right? It's 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 worth the payoff, it really is. It looks better, and people watch movies 10 years later and they they go, oh, it looks like garbage, yeah, it's digital, and you know, practical holds up, yeah. You know, we did it with an embalming scene once with like, I mean, not a real body or anything, right. but like special effects makeup made like so close to where we're actually like, like you're almost cringing behind monitor looking at it because of how real it looks. Oh, and you know, I always, I always tell people I'm really desensitized. And part of it was working for Don on little things. And right. we had a whole day on set with a hundred percent lifelike real naked dead body this girl i think i was on set with up in the apartment building. oh yeah you were there. i was there yeah. that yeah. day yeah. and you know i'm you know you just get to set they had a real naked girl on set yeah, too just, that matched just, it right okay. she did. Take, taking a different turn <laughs> but you know and you know this is like the weird thing is i i it's like okay i gotta tie this girl's hands behind her back and put a garbage <laughs> bag over her head and i and again going back to safety i'm making sure she's okay because yeah. you have to because people are so busy and the guys and girls in charge the of safety. Real, the real person, not the dummy. The, yeah. No. Well, I mean, yeah. the dummy's worth, you know, more than a car. <laughs> but who gives a shit? It's, a, it's an object. I mean, but this person's here. And some, a lot of times it falls to the wayside, their comfort or their safety. You know, I've done a couple bags over the head scene. And you don't always have to poke holes. But you, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to something like that, their safety is more important than right. your shot. Shoot around it. I don't give a shit. And you've like, got to work with that that bag. Right. Laura Linney on uh, Life of David Gale when she's committing suicide in the thing. And yeah. they, they want they didn't want to see holes in the bag, but there had to be a little thing there somewhere to get air into her. You yeah. Know, you had to... But, but And I think this is something that a lot of audience members, if you're not in the craft or not in, in Hollywood, don't know. The role you play in what you're just talking about gives them the opportunity to have a better performance. They give a better performance because you are keeping an eye out for them. So, you are helping them. A, you know? a, a very standard thing a prop master will do with a safety thing for an actor is you do it to yourself first. So I had to suffocate an actor on Shameless with a plastic bag over their head, but they were already dead with the plastic bag on their head and nobody was around them. So there was no other actor who could help give you know, hold the bag a certain way or something. Mm-hmm. They had to sit there, look dead with a bag pulled over their face, sucked tight to their face. So yeah, I, I just, I, you know, I bat, bought different bags and I pulled different bags over my face until I found one that looked like I was suffocating and I sent photos of that. And then on the day I showed the actor, I did it to myself. Uh-huh. And then I check, you check in with them because yeah. they have to perform and that's hard with, these other aspects and it's very easy for them to forget a safety step mm-hmm. which is part of the reason you know you overdo it you have a dull knife you know a lot of times when you see a knife that looks sharp on camera we very rarely put a real sharp knife on camera because uh sharp knives you know people get cut so they can't be thinking about that so you mm-hmm. walk up and you show them on the back of your mm-hmm. arm yeah 
it's dull. And if your unless arm, it, if your arm it's opens, Quentin. unless it's Quentin, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, then the machete had to be razor sharp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I mean, you know, it's they have to trust you. And um, like I said before, with the props, you know, you work for the director, um, but at the end of the day, the, the actor has to like you, or you're done because you're gonna be getting very. You got to put body armor on mm -hmm. them you got to put weapons on them you have to help have people shoot them point blank people stab them you know yeah. it's it's a lot of trust so they have to know that you're competent yeah yeah no i i just think it's it's an aspect if you're not in so closely in your your craft you wouldn't know you wouldn't pay attention to that you wouldn't know that i'm gonna tell you people in my office young kids who are just out of school would not expect the prop master who they're told handles props is going to the extent in your role to make, you know, not just safety, but that the end product, the, the, the result is, on, is seen on camera. Yeah, right. you, know, I'm you never sure know what will be iconic. So, you know, right. it, there's so much media, the stuff you spend a lot of times on. Like sometimes it's just a thing that flutters away and you never, mm -hmm. you remember it. But then there's, it'll always be when you grab a coffee cup from crafty and, and it, <laughs> that yeah. people that will be the shot on the poster. And it's not just what's in directly in front of camera. You know, they got some 300 mil lens and they're watching somebody a uh, hundred yards away in close up, right? You, you know, and everybody has to be part of it. Everybody has to be yeah, look it, good. And, and Don brought up something to go a little bit back, mentioning how the guitar was a quarter inch off. This is a big fight. We have a lot of times with people, who just can't wrap their heads around that things change in front of a lens, yeah, including color yep. and lighting mm -hmm. and size. So sometimes, like, you know, if depending when, on the angle, depending right. on the. So a, a non industry person will see a prop and they go, well, that looks like shit. And you're mm -hmm. like, well, it didn't look like shit in front of the camera. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's painted, but then it was yeah. dropped and it was stuffed right. in a box. And it, it, a lot of things have to happen. So with a stunt prop, stunt props generally are larger than the real object if it's a rubber it's because rubber expands right and how they pour the mold and the mold's based off that object but it, it's just it only matters if they're sitting next to each other right right <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the, the point about if they grab a coffee cup from crafty because years ago when i first started and was learning the ropes seinfeld was one of the hottest shows yeah. there were and at the time and it still is but the goal, it wasn't actually the prop master. He'd actually joke about it. He's like, you know what? Jerry will just grab whatever, the, like a soda. If you had a soda brand as a client, you actually wanted to make sure it was at craft service and maybe yeah. even merchandise nicely. <laughs> because whatever Jerry would grab at craft service, he would take on and shoot in that scene. And so much of the show was imp you know, improvised yes. anyway. But that was actually, I mean, it was the opposite of what I was told. I'm trying to work with prop people and this and that. And next thing I know, I'm like, I got to find the craft service person. My wife yeah. and I, my wife and I binged Seinfeld over COVID and I commented, I was yeah. like, he had an RC Cola and now he has he a Coke and now he has yeah. a Pepsi. Like what's that, going on that here? Type, come in. That type yeah. of stuff I think is like my prop master's nightmare all the time because it's like oh it's scripted that they're eating an orange and stuff and then the actor says like pre-meetings that they'll eat the orange and they'll oh, do that man. so you get 50 oranges and then they walk on a set and set deck has a bowl of apples and they grab that and they're like now i'm eating an apple and it's like <laughs> you're on the way to the okay. grocery store uh, 
yeah. Crafty, how many apples do you have that are exactly the same looking? Or hopefully there's a grocery store right around the corner, but chances are you're in Santa Clarita up in the, one of the ranches and you're not. Let me add one more area where I get to be mean about. If yeah. somebody suggests something oh my in front God. of a director or say, I have an idea. I have an idea. Yeah, well, why don't, you just, eat, why don't you just eat that apple? It's just like, why don't you switch the lens out, bud? <laughs> you know? Oh, you don't like that. Why don't you like let me? I think we need a light over here. Right. Why don't you let me pick the props? You know, I know what's here. <laughs> no, it, I mean, it is one of those things, though, that because it's, I mean, in certain situations, everyday objects, people, everybody thinks they can have an opinion on it. Yeah. Same with like decor and stuff in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Where it's kind of gets annoying. <laughs> well, on the so on the advertising side, so many brands, and it's exciting to be in Hollywood. I get it, but because they watch the shows, a lot of brand people think, "Oh, I know, I'm a writer. I can help write that scene." So a lot of times, Ooh. you'll get brands come in and go, "You know, we have a great idea. If character such and such does such and such, and then talks oh, really? about and says the you know the brand attributes and talks about it." I'm like, actually, what you don't know is that four episodes down, that character is the murderer. Right. Or whatever it is. Like, you know, the idea is is just let the experts do what they do, and, and it's it's going to turn out great. Well, going back to know? the actor, can yeah. just say no, too. And, well, uh, right. Exactly. And it has to fit the scene. So it. Right. whenever I get stuff from product placements, like, thank you very much. I'm happy to have everything you want to give me. Whether we can finally use it or not, we'll see what happens on the day. And it may be used very well it may not be used very well like we'll i'll step in if they're going to you know kill somebody with yeah. the with the item or something like that but it's yeah. not that it's about it it just has to work for it and it'll happen organically if it's the mm-hmm. correct thing and you have that opportunity because you have it there yes and if you don't have sure. it there there's no way you can even offer it so yeah and, and it and honestly i know this is a contentious thing with film nerds you know oh it looks like a coke commercial or a pepsi commercial or whatever People drink Coke. People yeah, drink mm-hmm. Pepsi. It's more yeah. realistic. So for me, I'd rather have them eating a bag of Frito-Lay chips than eating, you know, one of our fake brands or eating. It just, it might jump out to the audience if they're like, I got Doritos. Yeah, and they're like yeah. flashing at the camera. But, yeah. you know, people eat Doritos and sometimes they're serial killers. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> well, so, so that's the thing, though, is because you're part of the story. I mean... Like I said, I've been doing this for decades, and we we did Sopranos, we did Dexter, we've been in very dark. Actually, I just had a client shoot a thriller, and it's a knife company, and they were totally down. It's a chef's knife company. Yeah, they were totally down to the murder, and so, but it's it's going to be huge in the story, and it may, you know, so. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it makes and me sad. And if it can fillet a body part nice, yes. it can fillet a steak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they weren't hurt themselves. There you are. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, th- that's the real authenticity of working yeah. with brands. But I think over the years, um, so, there's so many new players in product placement who are trying to get into product yeah. placement. And it's like it goes in cycles, you know. And yeah. so I actually just heard just this week of an, another agency. I think they're newer on the scene. And they called the prop master on a on a big show that just wrapped uh, airing and uh, asked to have a conference call with this prop master and understand why they didn't use their products. Oh, and I was right. <laughs> were they, were they paying them? No. Oh, I was like appalled. I, I, I couldn't, my, I mean, I just really couldn't believe it because if it's going to work for your story and if it's going to work for your props that are interpreting your story, then great. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And Mike, if there is a paid deal, 
they don't always work out either. You know, well, yeah. and that so, pay deal has to be with production. It because does. I, I, oh yeah, there's no payola FCC yes. listening. Well, yes, but but I if, was actually offered. I, I can't even remember the name of the product, the fellow or, or the the house, like years ago when I did sneakers, and they wanted Robert Redford to wear the watch that they had, and I said, well, you can give me a bunch of your watches. I'm going to show him a bunch. If he picks it, it's great. great. If not. Can't help you. Sorry. Yeah. And then he started in about, well, I could give you $5,000 and this and that and this and that. And for some reason, another call came in that I thought I put on hold, but I accidentally was making up. Uh, still talking and making like like combining the you calls. linked the calls to link the call <laughs> only in Hollywood. By accident. and the call I was linking to was the head of product placement at Universal. <gasps> Oops, <laughs> <laughs> who was listening to this guy trying to bribe me. And I finally just said to him, I said, look, I, I, I just can't help you here. Again, send me your watches. If, if Bob it works, picks yeah. it, it's great. And that's when the fellow spoke up. He says, okay, we're ending this right here. You're never <gasps> giving anything else to Universal ever again. And Whoa. It's like, oh, Sounds and, like you did the right thing, though, right? Well, yeah, but it's, it is. It's the it law. Is, but it's not <laughs> right. just that. It's, it's the truth of it. It's like, give me anything you have. I'll Got show it, it up. Yeah. If it's the correct thing, I'll show no. it. But <laughs> I, I'm not the arbiter of it. Of course. It. And... I can't do it for money. If it's no, like, that's not my no. That's not my gig. I want the perfect. Prop, yeah, the perfect and honestly, accessory to... with you saying even like when they do pay, I mean for production and stuff. I worked on a movie uh, a few years ago with Dakota Johnson. I don't even know if it's out yet, but um, uh, I forget what the company was, but it was a water bottle company, mm-hmm. and they hit they hit us up and they're like, "Oh, we want to give you guys fifty thousand dollars to have a shot with Dakota Johnson drinking." Um, the water bottle and I was like okay this is above my grade here here let's link this with production and it had all the producers on yeah. it and like there and all the producers were like yeah 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 let's do it let's do it I was like okay you guys do all the technical whatever payoff paperwork and then if you send me the water bottles I'll make sure they're there and it's like a yoga scene they're all doing yoga so it was like all right we'll put the water bottles in because it was like very um, like all the mats were black, all the blocks mm-hmm. were black. They all had like a drape, the same color. So everything was uniform. So I was like, okay, I'll just put one of these water bottles. So then it's uniform. Like you come into this nice yoga stand and it worked. But then I put them all there. Uh, nobody checked with Dakota Johnson. <laughs> she had a deal. So she didn't have a deal. She didn't have a deal, but, but she's anti-plastic bottle. So she walks in yep. to this yoga studio, sees all the plastic. She's like, oh, this is all great, but can we lose all the water bottles? And then, and then like, they, I heard that over walkie. I was like, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, does the production know this, that you want to lose all? And then, because she, she's a producer on the thing, and then, like, they got into a big huddle. And then she's like, I don't know how this happened. I wouldn't have let this go if this was the case. Right. And which ended up, we they ended up in a big phone call with, product placement and with everything to where product placement ended up being like okay we're okay if it's the coast guard co-star that's drinking it we removed all the bottles from everybody and just had a scene where she pulled it out of a cubby while she's talking to dakota and took a sip of it but like that was such a huge thing that was just like all right (laughs) even a production says it's okay it still might not be okay especially with young producers you have to kind of remind them of their job right because it's not just the credit or getting to like smile or make a couple phone calls it's like you're gonna go tell that movie star yeah whether or not they're gonna do because you guys i don't tell people what to do right no i show people what we should do i show them good options and then unless it's a safety thing it's that i I can't tell 
Bruce Willis, you got to wear this watch? You can. Mm-hmm. Or you can go try and find out. I don't, like, I have to remind them with product stuff. You know, it's like, okay, well, did you ever think that that actor is vegan? Yeah. And that product right. that you just try to get much money off of is not vegan. And are they okay? I can't, now we're in advertising land. Right. And legally, I can't put a different chip in that bag. So you like, yeah, for sure. These are, these are whole conversations that people need to like think about. (laughs) Or you have a producer who I had a producer was actually Dodie Fayed who demanded I hustle people for money to put their stuff (laughs) on camera. And we had this 52 foot uh, scarab motorboat that they were trucking up from Florida for free to use on FX2, but up to Toronto. And he was saying, well, you've got to get 50 grand for it. And I just said, look, I got you a, like a half a million dollar boat for, yeah. for nothing. Yeah. I said, you want to hustle them for money? You talk. To yeah. Them. That's not what I do. Yeah. I'm I'll not, get it to you for free. I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to kill my contacts that I've just <laughs> yeah, made yeah. these friends because you, of this. You give me points, uh, gross <laughs> points on your feature. Yeah. And I'll do whatever phone call you want yeah. me to do. Just right like now. I'm not going to, yeah. Or, yeah. Or you get a bunch of promo. Yeah. <laughs> right. With, we got all these Omegas and stuff like on, on uh, Ender's Game for Harrison Ford. And he used a, a Vacheron Constantine watch that wasn't promo. <laughs> so at the end of the movie, he goes, let me see those watches again. And so I bring out the watches and he pulls out his phone and he's looking through pictures of watches. And I go, so, so what's that there? He goes, oh, these are the watches I have. And he looks at the promo watches. And says, yeah, I don't have this one. And this one, and this one, he grabs them. He yeah. goes, I'm keeping these. Here, you can have my on-camera watch. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, as you're talking about there, this was a time back in the day, you young folks didn't get to have this experience, I think. We had so much free stuff, Don. Yes. I mean, as I was, I was driving over here and I was listening to the news and Fran Drescher's out there, I'm thinking to myself, wow, I have two Gucci watches from the nanny because they had hired us to get a watch on her in the nanny because she's so high fashion. This is the mid nineties. And they said, Oh, you can keep a watch too. And then we did another placement with her. You keep that watch too. So I'm thinking I have, it was just a different time, you know, Canada, (laughs) Canada. I had a team member. We were going up to Vancouver and this is, I don't know, 15 years ago. And we were bringing, we were going up for a, like an event for our, for Luxottica for sunglass hut. And I had checked my sample set of, of glasses in my luggage and one of the girls on my team, she had it on her carry-on. And now she's got four trays, four dozen sunglasses in her bag. And I'm thinking, oh, no, Customs is going to annihilate us. And yeah. sure enough, we get up there. And, uh, yeah, they, they kept her in uh, in the Customs area. And Seriously? I was, yeah. Oh, so, wow. And she was this adorable, petite young girl. And I'm looking behind me at the station there at, you know, where the, the, the customs are in, in Vancouver. And I look behind me and she's starting to get red faced and nervous. And now I'm thinking, Oh no, now don't get nervous. It's going to look worse. <laughs> so they took us, they took us back to, um, the customs area. And of course I went back there. I'm like, no, I'm her boss, da da da. And I'm trying to explain what we're doing. And all the while there was an Australian TV show called customs and it was like cops and they're asking for my permission. And I'm like, absolutely not. You know, I'm like, no, no filming, you know, and I won't sign anything. But yeah, I actually ended up having to make a financial arrangement with the, the customs folks because of eyewear and the, you know, those glasses are, 
three dollars to make or something and then they sell them for five hundred six hundred dollars yeah so me trying to finagle a, yeah, a price that was agreeable to canada canadian uh, Customs, but it would but seem to me you could go across with paperwork saying it's specifically on loan for the film yeah. and returning I at think this that's, date. I think that's now, the big difference right there. We didn't know that. We're product yeah. placement gals. No, that's the big difference there is because you're not coming to like sell fake products. Right. You're, no. you're using stuff in a TV show. Well, we weren't <laughs> even going to a specific show. We were bringing them for a party oh. for prop people. Yeah. So it was like when she started, when we started dancing around with like, no, 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 we're not. It, no, it's not for this, but it's not, but it sort of is, and you know, but yeah, they're. I, I got yeah. into all this it, it, going doing a pilot in Mexico, it never got released, but it was like, is it a temporary import, a permanent import? And it's just the headache of getting things into country and then find out all the random taxes, maybe some that were made up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's yeah, just kind of. You told me some of those stories, I think, when you, I heard about Yeah, this you know, it was like. And oh. stuff you just can't get. And there's yeah. stuff you just but, can't yeah. get. When we went to Jamaica for a cocktail, yeah. and uh, Brian Brown has that one Dunhill lighter, and I couldn't bring uh, butane gas for some reason, and oh. I could not find butane gas on the island. And every time I tried to have it sent or shipped, they, they wouldn't do it. And he'd play with that lighter at the beach bar and let, let it go, let it go. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, it lasted the oh whole time, God. but it was like... But you were having a panic attack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, on that pilot... Uh, and and yeah. the, the thing of, they checked everything we brought into the country, all your tools, all of that, and all the Jamaican folks, the carpenter, all that, but he said, boy, I'd really like that hammer, I'd like that Makita drill, I can't have that, and I go, look, it's on my paperwork, so I have to back, but you want this hammer? You help us out. Give me your old crappy hammer, I'll put it in my kit, you've got this new estimate. Exactly. you got an old crappy drill, here it is, you've got the Makita now. Yeah, like yeah. We did this whole trade-off, and I came back with all this junk tools. <laughs> so they were all happy. It's the know? second time I've heard about hammers. I didn't know they were in such demand. So well, I, I got it was a, like nice hammer. I, I didn't know when this. You go I, I'm to, not a crafty person. <laughs> when you go to places that are out of the way yeah. uh, in third world countries. Yeah. Um, tools. Yeah. 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 I think it's uh, not as good there. I mean, they get, they're going to have like what people there can afford, especially in third world country. They can't yeah. afford a Makita mm-hmm. drill. <laughs> I mean, what's what's hard, you know, like I wouldn't say Mexico is a third world country, but, you know, it's in the Yucatan. And it was this was during COVID when you couldn't get a PlayStation. I bought a PlayStation 5 there when it like in in a store like they had a lot of them. And I'm like, how do they have these? Oh, they're the same price they are yeah. back home. But people make here in the city a lot less like a third but you know it's like it's a weird thing because the person driving me around isn't making a lot and i'm spending you know show money my job is shopping Mm -hmm. and so a lot of you know a lot of that is like well i'm not sending a bike back you want a bike you want this you want you know like you try to like make it up saying hey well they're not going to ship this back you want it (laughs) right (laughs) or or going to shop for stuff in places where you know, the person who's driving you, like, what are you going to get? How much money are you carrying? Oh, we better pick up a bodyguard. What's that for? Oh, we need somebody with a gun to drive there. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's yeah. like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, I saw the Rolex store. There's a guy with an, an Uzi outside of the Rolex store. <laughs> no, I, and I, I just think we're going to see more global filming. Absolutely. Yes. Filming. I was it's at a party the other night. The AD had just come back from Malta, where they did the Napoleon mm-hmm. thing, Ridley mm-hmm. Scott, all of that. And he said they cobbled together the crew from all over the world. Mm-hmm. 
uh, from Africa, from England, from... Oh, the new uh, Gladiator movie? Is that what you're talking no, about? No, Napoleon. Uh, Napoleon. Napoleon. I think they're doing yeah. Gladiator yeah, they there, too. As well. Yeah. 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 I've had a few crew members who've fallen in love with women in Malta on location, but those are different podcasts. <laughs> I believe so, it. <laughs> but, Spain um, beauty. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that we're just seeing more and more, especially this year leading up to, you know, the contract negotiations. And I, I think we'll continue to see more, especially in Australia yeah. and uh, in Europe, New Zealand. New Zealand. And, yeah. um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I know um, Janie Gulick, uh, who's usually in Hawaii, she flew out to Germany because someone needed her and she's out in Germany right now. So um, as you're talking about the ease, I was thinking about when you were telling the story with Face Off and just going down to Chinatown and being able to meet with a Cambodian jeweler. There are so much, um, there's so I think there's so much opportunity and resources in cities like L.A. and Hollywood. So it has to be hard as you're talking about it when you're on location. Like, what do you do? You bring it with you. You yeah. bring it with you. But, you know, <laughs> so that pilot, um, somebody had left during prep, and I took over. And so I came in and had one week to learn the show, prep the show, and ship it to Mexico. So as I was getting on the airplane, a major surgery, uh, uh, an impromptu surgery scene became bigger and, you know, I had shipped everything, and I thought, I'll just buy more. And, well, there's a med- you can't import medical items into Mexico without a medical license. Well, I didn't know that. So, you know, now I'm there j- just trying to get the extra stuff mm-hmm. because yeah. of a quick change that happened while I was in the air on the airplane. It, it became a whole thing. And, and, you know, then you have to work out, well, can we stretch it? Can we make this work mm-hmm. out? Because you're what am I supposed to do? All the packaging in Mexico is in Spanish and right. the item I have on camera is in English. So, yeah. <laughs> and I don't have a, you know, a prop house or prop houses and graphic houses that could hide it or cheat it for me. You know, you really, if you don't send it, yeah, you're scrounging. <laughs> yeah. We do a lot with our spirits brands of shipping empty. I, I talk about this frequently in this podcast. It makes me so sad to like empty bottles of booze. Yeah. And, and yeah. because if they're shooting in Canada, you're going to get French uh, labels. If you know, they're, they, they need a, a lot that's shooting in Australia. It's Australia. It's America. It's supposed to be set here in the States. So we're shipping over, you know, Frito chips to make it look like Texas, you know, right? The, <laughs> because naturally that's what Fritos do is make everything look like Texas. That's right. But I mean, the labels different, yeah. the nutrition yeah. facts, the health warnings, yeah, the everything. whole things. Um, going back to the, I wanted to, there was something interesting that came out of uh, this fantastic tailgate party we had is everyone had the opportunity who visited and we had a lot of interns from film schools that were with us to go onto a prop truck and we forget how fun and it is to be on a prop truck. And one of the questions that the interns ask of me is like, what's the strangest thing that a prop master would have on their prop truck? Like, it depends on who you are. I mean, you're <laughs> by nature, you're almost hoarders, not in a bad way, but you have yeah. to collect so much. The value you bring is your kit, right? right. So like, is there something that you're like, I, the one of the craziest things I have in a truck is this. I The one thing I show everybody that comes on, I have four cane swords. Cane sword? <laughs> I think that's, it's just a cane, but the then a sword, sword comes out. <laughs> <laughs> that's what was my that, favorite. Uh, what was that used for? Uh, it was not used. It was bought as an option to use for Teen Wolf that we never ended up using, so I just got to keep the cane swords. And I try to get it into everything I work in <laughs> on. I haven't been successful yet, but there will be a thing. I mean, the thing people always 
blush you know other older people will tell me oh the the bin of sex toys because mm-hmm. you have to have them and condoms but honestly for me personally this is just like a personal prop that i was really in love with on shameless we had to do a school shooter drill but uh they picked a white kid and then he gets like gacked out in like tactical gear and like has a nerf gun and he's chasing down the kids and murdering them with a nerf gun right so I wanted to find the most realistic Nerf gun I could get that was automatic and shooting. And, like, I wanted it to look like an M16 or an AR-15 because, you know, with Shameless, you know, I always was like, well, you start big and then you move backwards, right. you know, because you want it to be. That's what they expect. Right. Yeah. The big gag. So I had got one that looked like an M16. It was just different colors and, and it's fully automatic and it shoots Nerf, nerf darts and everything. And they're like, oh scooch it back a bit so i have it on my truck it's just for me personally <laughs> it's entertaining to me you know this photo like not photorealistic but we uh we just signed gel blaster so mm. we had them at the yes. Tail. Yeah, oh, gel yes. blasters oh that's right yeah and so those are pretty insane i tried too. to get them into kids hands they wouldn't have it well, nothing, nothing, nothing under 14. But yeah, yeah. yeah. David Shemersky out in uh, Chicago, we were visiting in December before we had him as a client. So I wasn't familiar with him. And he and his whole team had him. And he had built a laser sight onto, on it. And he was shooting them across the, you know, the stage. Yeah. And the set dressers had them and this and that. So I guess it's like the new Nerf. But um, they're a little more stingy. Than, when we were than kids, it was super soakers. Fun. Yeah, I, I I was wondering about the super super soakers like not too long ago because I was whole, like they don't make those there's anymore. There's a whole legal they're, thing. I, yeah, there's no water them? guns like those anymore. Well, the, the I think there was like a patent dispute with the creator or something. Like there's a guy who owns the patent to the super soakers. So when we were kids, they just aren't producing. They got them. just huge, yeah, huge, I remember, I, and they, yeah, they would like hurt. A, yeah, like a backpack. I had a ski boat. I was a wakeboarder. Right, right. I know. Yeah, that's what and then do. and then now, yeah, it, they I think. They just didn't want to pay him. Mm, I don't know the full story. It'll be a documentary I'll watch later <laughs> about the fallout of the uh, super soakers. What about you, Don? You're thinking really strong. Well, I, I, I mean, there's so much odd stuff. Uh, the two unusual items that I like, I have two uh, Japanese bayonets oh, that, nice. that I got on, on Wind Talkers. And the handles are, um, they have like a photograph uh, uh on the handle that's, you know, some Japanese girl, but the plastic that's lit, the clear plastic that's laid over it is from the uh, windscreens of uh, cockpits of planes that they shot down. So, um, holy crap. You know, Wind Talkers, he already knows. It's one of my favorite movies. I'm like, <laughs> I need to come on the prop track and see this. Well, there were, um, we had two 40-foot containers as well as the prop truck. Um, and it's one of my favorite. A movies. lot of so and good. 128 pallets at wrap. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Six weeks of wrap. Oh my god. You we were... had outfits for a thousand Marines, uh, 500 Japanese, 250 Japanese officers. We had a lot of stuff. Again, like there's a, a whole ne- a, ge- a whole generation that doesn't understand the amount of extras that background that you have to, you know. Dress or or you know how, what would you call it? Dress prepared like yeah. to dress, yeah. them, dress them, them. Dress yeah. them. And now so much can be replaced by computers, and which is fine and great. Right. But there is a skill to it. You know the Battle of the Bastards episode from Game, Game of, of Thrones. Thrones. Mm-hmm. Do you know the story behind this? About yeah. what? They practiced they for like forty eight days or some crazy number. Don't quote me, HBO. But from 
they and that was all shot live. And I still couldn't get the sword right. <laughs> what? <laughs> the student that battle when when Jon Snow jumps up on his horse, it's a rubber sword that's on his thing. So he gets on and just goes. Okay, and it's like the only thing I can notice about this because he's starting to go in to chase his brother down, and the sword's just right okay. behind him. See, then you do look at props. And I, only when it's only when it's like glaring, though. Right, right. I and it's not supposed to. be. I didn't see a floppy sword. But I, I always have sympathy. But like, after I judge. The, they shot it all practical with people, and they, it was yeah. all like like one giant dance routine for forty eight days. They practiced this, and I think that I know that's very costly, but it's such a powerful episode, and it it shows you know the quality right. when you you do it that. You can't off. replace that with it just you know computer generation. Um, who are I know you worked a lot. You just we just talked about wind talkers and face talk, face off. Um, John Wu, you worked a lot with John Wu. Is there anyone else that I mean? I know you really liked. Who else did you really enjoy working with that you uh, came back to? I love Tony Scott. That I wish he hadn't uh, had mm-hmm. uh, committed right. suicide. Right. I, I would have loved to have worked with him again. Um, as as tough as it was with Quentin, uh, mm-hmm. I I did enjoy working with him. It's it's really an adventure. Um, it's whatever. I, I, again, I I just want something where I can really sink my teeth into it, really right. become involved. It becomes my life. My brother, my brother would kill me if I didn't bring this up because one of his favorite movies of all times is Holes. You know, we're having the twentieth anniversary screening tomorrow at the Autry Museum. Seriously? Yes. I got a note from the director in that that he wants to get the crew together for that. And I I actually, I I took over the show a week before they started filming. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a a lot of fun. Yeah. Did you shoot that out in Texas? No, no. We shot that all uh, here. Really? Yes. In Santa Clarita, California, probably. Were you in Santa Clarita? Really? I'm being sarcastic. It probably was. Yeah. (laughs) And also China Lake for where they're digging the holes. Oh, the, for, uh, the, the right up lake bed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How many actual real holes were? That's one question. There was a bunch, a bunch there, and I still remember Shia's dad. He had the spot thermometer, and he's going around with various holes. He goes, "It's 155 degrees in that hole. We're cooking meat here. Come on, <laughs> let's move it." <laughs> That's hilarious. So, Chris. Um, who have you really enjoyed working with, or, or rather, who are you looking forward to working with in the future? Um, so, basically, like, my biggest show was Shameless. You know, I plug it a lot because that's what you do when you're trying to get hired afterwards, <laughs> um, which was a really cool opportunity that fell into my lap, uh, so to speak. Um, and so, John Wells, actually. Um, unfortunately, when Shameless happened, um, COVID happened. I my put my equipment in the Warner Brothers lot and they said go home and we'll see you in two weeks and five months later we filmed Shameless so um, a lot of things changed and John was out of country uh, I think doing another sh- uh, getting another show off the ground so you know he was involved but I never got to work directly under him the episode he would have directed I would have done but he it went to Chris Chulak who was also really wonderful but I worked for John in the past did he create Shameless. John? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's based off of an Australian show, I believe. It's a British show. I, British used, to, show. I used to watch the British show. Oh, okay. Before, yeah, but he did. Great. I mean, and, and, you know, as far as showrunners go, like, John is a is this huge name. I never even knew he existed before I moved worked in the business. Go, of course. Go associate what I know. But, you know, he, for being such a, a big 
personality who's done all these hit shows. He did ER and he, you know, he did um, China Beach. Um, he he's a nice guy. He's like a like a plucky Midwesterner that you know. It doesn't mean he's like like he he knows what he's doing and he commands respect, but he's not he's not this mean figure that unfortunately a lot of people can be. Um, he just he checked in on us during COVID. Right. He uh, went out of his way to make sure people were taken care of and made sure, you know, to say, hey, if anyone's in trouble, let me know. And something that's really uh, stuck with me is that he kept insisting we will have a rap party. And two years later, unfortunately, the night my son was born, so I did <laughs> oh, not wait, go. Wait, two years after you guys rapped? After we rapped. <laughs> Uh, there was a, they had a rap party, you know? Yeah. And, and so that kind of goes to show you, you know, like John's got a lot going on and he, yeah. he could have been like, whatever. It's like, but, but he treats that he treated the crew like a family. And, you know, so I was kind of an outsider coming in because it wasn't my show. You know, uh, Michael Lindsay was the main prop master, but, um, so everybody had existing relationships, right? But but just seeing that that environment he fosters, and after being on so many other shows where, you know, unfortunately, sorry kids, like people aren't happy. People are kind of like there is there are abusive bosses. There are people. Who, it's just it's just a different vibe, and it's it's something that I really enjoyed. And that's as far as TV goes. I mean, as far as films go, you know, I'd love to work with all the the greats, even if they have personality problems because you want to do something. I mean, that's the whole reason we moved to LA, right? Hmm. You want to do the iconic thing. Yeah. You know, the you, thing that's going to go down in history. Or... You want to be able to, you know, at least tell your kids, Hey, I invented the lightsaber, yeah, you, yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, or, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's, it's what you, you know, it's why, it's not why you do this. This is a job, but it's, it's a part of why you put up with what you put up with. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my observation about John is for the two and a half decades I've been doing this is that yeah. he's he's very loyal. Yes, you know, to his to his crew. I mean, some of the people who were on ER when I first started were still involved with Shameless or or Southland or other shows that that he has done. And and it definitely in any business it definitely shows from the top down. It trickles down. You know, so if yes. if it's toxic at the highest level everyone below is affected. And I always th think it's interesting when as an outsider, I walk on a set to deliver something or see one of you guys, um, you can feel it instantly. Like, yeah. like almost cut it sometimes yeah. if it's a tense show. Yeah. Is it like that for you? I think so. I mean, they yeah. can kind of, you kind of know what shows to look out for. I don't know. They gain, th those types of shows tend to gain a reputation mm -hmm. within the film industry. So I feel like you know what to like look for. Or yeah. if you get the call for a show that's similar to that, it's, it's, it's like a real moment. I mean, we're pretty, we're, Chris and I are pretty early in our careers, so we're not necessarily at the position where we can turn down that types of shows yeah. if it is a network, big, like, popular show. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, there's been plenty of time. You know, people will tell you when they're referring you to a show, uh, A, if they're another prop master, they'll tell you why they yeah. didn't take it. But B, you know, if they're not, you know, they'll tell you why, you know, careful going in. But like, like Mikey said, like, what am I supposed to turn down a TV show? Yeah. I, <laughs> and just, it, it just like bad, like jobs, you know, aren't going to be good. Like Chris and I have texted each other all the time when we couldn't take a show and be like, Hey, 
I could give your name for this, right. but you tell me if you want me to first. Right. And, and I want to keep our friendship, man. Yeah, well, right. That's why. I mean, and I've, you know, I complained to my wife a little bit. Like, my last four or five mastering gigs were all like saving the day jobs. And you yeah. get paid that much extra to save the day. It was people quit at the last second, people got fired at the last second. Right. And so instead of like easing in and mm-hmm. like, loading you know getting getting going it was like you have a week to do this and figure it out and it's like so you're never on a good foot and is that yeah. is there a risk in that that you're known as like the guy that'll jump in like the relief pitcher um, for the clo- what's the closer you're a closer i don't think so no? i don't think there's okay. too much i mean it it tells people you can get it done yeah um the risk that kind of risk uh, happens in low budget because mm-hmm. you become known as someone who can pull stuff off with no money. Yeah. And you get trapped in that way. You know, going back to what I talked about, about like turning in your call sheets and becoming mm-hmm. union, like that's how the non-union world beats you down is like people listening. You've probably watched a ton of really cool music videos or ads. Oh, for sure. Made by non-union crew members. Right, right. And a lot of them quit the business within 10 years. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what's shooting right now is we're in the middle right. of this strike. Our music videos. I mean, for product placement, that's one of our biggest revenues generators right now because, oh, you know, because they're non-union and they're right. shooting, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and it's quick turnaround. Wow. You get a storyboard and like two days later you're shooting. Yeah. yeah. It's insane. You know? Yeah. That in commercial is like the bread and butter right now. I was, I was bemoaning to my wife, uh, Maria, that, you know, the hardest show I ever pulled off was a pilot that's never getting released. And yeah. it was like, <laughs> I'm sure there are so many of those. It's so is this the one in Mexico, right? It was in Mexico, yeah. you know, and it was just like, wow, I like did that. You know, it was really, I was happy with myself and my crew that we, we put together, but it's like, no one's ever going to see that. And so, <laughs> you know, there's a little yeah. bit of, that's why when people like out of the business ask you, well, it is a job at the end of the day, your paycheck cleared, then you know, as much as you want it to be the next cool thing, there's 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 an other side to it, which is. Yeah. And uh, the other thing, I you know, I was I was thinking about like inspiration. You you talk about the challenges of the jobs and what you love about the job, but obviously you feel inspired in your careers to to keep doing this. And I was as you were talking about Warner Brothers, and I was just mentioning it. Like, do you? St- I still get excited on certain lots especially Warner brothers. Like I feel the history because sometimes you feel it through the, through the walls and you look at their plaques about who's shot there, what's shot there. You know, do you, and sometimes I'm, I was there when, uh, Joker, it was before the start, just right before we started, we shut down really. And, uh, Joker two, I forgot the full. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I I took Spanish, so I don't (laughs) know the French, but, um, and it was one of those days where you did have like 200 extras walking down the alley between the stages, uh, in seventies wardrobe and Lady Gaga's there. And it's just like this high energy that was around these stages. And I was like, this is still exciting. Like, this is what you see in a movie of, with a movie within a movie. Like, do you still, still get that high? I um, do. <laughs> I, I do. I, I think, you know, you have to, because, you know, I've worked props, I've worked set dressing. You, know, you, have, you you do so many jobs to get to where Mikey and I are. You know, Mikey and I say we're, we're newer, but, like, we had to do a lot to get to where we're at. You know, it really isn't like you just get off the bus and someone says, hey, do, do you want to do props? It's 
so you have to have that drive going into it. And I still have that inspiration when I read a script and I'm doing my initial, you know, feel for stuff. Cause if you don't, you just won't be a good prop master. If you just don't care, you can just buy whatever and sell it and you're move on. And it really shows, but when you, especially when you get like an exciting prop, something that is a historic thing or something that's an active prop that like does something special, there's a, like you get to figure this problem out. It's your problem. Yeah. You solve it and it goes on screen. As far as like scenes of, it's like, yeah, every once in a while, because we do get to go everywhere, you know, you get to go behind, you get to go to the backstage area of a historic building that's no one's been allowed in for a hundred years or whatever. You mm. do stuff like that all the time. It's like part of your, your job. Yeah, <laughs> but, just, but, nah. but even furthermore, yeah. it's like, I mean, my favorite ride at Universal is still the Backlot Tour ride. You know what right. I mean? I still like feel that magic and going around. And I mean, it's you kind of do get used to a lot of things, but I mean, there's no no better feeling than doing a scene like where there's an explosion and you see a stuntman yeah. flying through the air. Right. It's like because film is boring a lot of the times, and once you get in, you quickly realize that, and that's kind of what weans people out. But like to build up to like do that really, really cool scene mm-hmm. where things are breaking and they're throwing shit and yeah. like things are blowing up. Like that's still where like a lot of the magic and everybody on set is like loving those days. Yeah. You know yeah. It I reminds mean? you like, this is the magic. Like this is hot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You've seen, yeah. I, I did set dressing for two days on a thing. Uh, uh, it was a bad time at the El Royale, something like that. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we rebuilt, a, they built a Vietnamese jungle, a Vietnam jungle in Acton, <laughs> like literally planted trees. We put a helicopter in a tree. Built a jungle in the high desert. They had a hundred <laughs> background playing dead on the ground and we blew up a village. Yeah. And you're just standing there like, oh, this is like, this is cool. It's Friday. What time <laughs> yeah. is it? You know, but you know what I will say? after all these years that that still has that magic for me is um when you're on a really big set on a, like a on a in a sound stage like a really well-made set like a hospital set or something like that and then you walk out a door mm-hmm. and you're in a fire lane in a sound stage you know there's yeah. still there's just something about well if i just don't open that door I'm yeah. hanging out in a hospital right now or I'm hanging out in this weird alley or yeah. hanging, like you're in the, you know, there's roof, there's the roof on the sets a lot of the time. Yeah. So you really you're fully transformed when you walk in, you're stage. in these yeah. areas and it's just something, there's something so neat about that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like even in theater, you're, it's just a wall, but yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. And you're right. It's a good point. Cause we get so jaded or it's like second nature. We're so used to opening a door and, walking into a whole other world right. so it's it's good to point out and take a take a beat and remind ourselves uh what inspires you i don't know i think i just love props to begin with and i think what was it I was saying kevin smith is the guy yeah. who i really like i didn't know this was a possibility until after i read kevin smith's book um back in high school so i think like after i read that and figured out what he did and the guy like he's a he's a film school dropout so he dropped out of film school and then just said, right, I'm just going to do this myself. And then maxed out a bunch of credit cards and got his buddies together and made a film and submitted it to film festivals and came to Hollywood and became a big director. So like reading what he kind of did is what inspired me, I think, 
ultimately to come out here <laughs> yeah, and to actually get into this, to realize like, okay, maybe it's easier than I thought. And I mean, it's easier than I thought. Yes. But I, I, I think more that I've gotten in the industry, it's led me to believe that you can really, you can do anything you ever want in this world. You just want to want to do it. <laughs> you know? right. And that's where it felt like being like an East coast, like guy that grew up in an area. It's like, you don't, things seem out of reach where nothing's really out of reach. So yeah. I think like that as I, it inspired me to go to film school and inspired, inspired me to kind of follow this film thing, which kind of led to props and, and kept pushing me further. So that's kind of what brought me there. I would love to work for him one day. I know <laughs> he's I, supposed to be the most approachable guy in Hollywood. No, I was gonna, I was gonna ask if you had a chance to meet him, or you. I've met. Pa- I, what would you say? Yeah, I've crossed paths with him like four times, but I've oh. never actually like approached him or or did anything. Like my wife, my wife has always been like, "Oh, look here, I'll introduce you to." Him. Like she doesn't know him. <laughs> I'll, here, come on, I'll, I'll make I'll make the introduction. Or like I'll, I'll give you. I was like, "Well, I don't want to do it because I don't want to be fanboy. I want to work for him one day. I don't want to like right. choke up and be." and be like oh that's just a fanboy where i could be his prop master like i prop mastered bigger things in a lot of his movies i think i could do a really good job at those because i'm be mad passionate about being in that dynasty you know what i mean like what you're talking about is a great reminder i think for all of us but especially you guys are younger than me and i think it's important to remember to trust yourself and take a risk on yourself because like you believed in you. That's what you're right. saying. It's like, I, no matter what, I can have $5 or whatever it is, but I'm going to go out to Hollywood because I believe yeah. that I'm going to do this and like following yeah. your, because as you get older, uh, at least in my experience, because I did the same thing. Yeah. Like me falling into product placement was a total happen, just happy accident. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what a prop master was. I didn't know how to get on the, studio lot you actually yeah. didn't need drive-ons when i started i oh, could like yeah. flirt my way on Pre-9-11. the, tra- on the tra- yes <laughs> no, yeah. truck lot you know the truck entrance but um i didn't know anything and i was i remember having this moment i was like it doesn't matter i wasn't scared and i didn't like because like fear dictates your fate yeah you know and i believed yeah. in myself and i have to remind myself because as you get older there are things i regret i didn't do or try or go down a certain road along the way because i was too afraid at that point to make a change yeah. to, to do something re- like new i think there is also like like my parents, they, they weren't unsupportive. They definitely wanted me to chase what I wanted to do. But I think even for them, this was unrealistic to a point to where they're just like, oh, yeah, chase your dreams, do things, but have a backup plan. And then mm-hmm. like my reaction was, I was like, I don't need a freaking backup plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you I don't knew need a, you well, were not going to stop. No, like, I wasn't going to stop. Happen, but but I mean, after COVID and this writer strike, I'm starting to think, hey, maybe I should have had a backup plan. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> starting I'm, to formulate that backup plan. I'm like looking at my resume. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, and that's, you know, my, my parents are very supportive, but, you know, I'm I'm very uh, bullheaded once I've made a choice. Definitely. So, you know, when I moved here, I just was like, I'm moving on this date. I'm leaving. I'm moving out. You know, I'm moving from Arizona out here. I, things, whatever. And, you know, I not to sugarcoat it for anyone thinking about coming out here. I mean, I was in debt. I ran up bills. Like, because you... LA is not cheap and it's not getting yeah. cheaper. And when you are non-union, you don't make a lot of money. Like no. you make up front, you go, Oh, well, that's a lot of money. It's not a lot of money when you don't know when you're working next. No. So like you might make a nice week's pay and then you don't work for three weeks. So yeah. did you really? So, you know, I hustled and you know, it's, it's a lot of hustling and yeah. I was terrified. I mean, yeah, I thought 
I had still like used to have in the back of my head, like, oh, I'm going to screw up this job and they're going to blacklist me and it's going to, it's going to torpedo my career. And, What's your sign? Uh, I'm a Libra. Oh, that's so Libra. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it, that never happened. Uh, and the people who would do that to you aren't, you don't want it's do hard it. to get blacklisted than people think in this it industry. is it I mean, is you really have to you have to do something oh. like criminally i know wrong. a lot of things about a lot of people and yes. they're still fine yeah, you, yeah, get, you get you get told this as you like move up in the union world you hear all the stories and all the gossip and then you kind of just go oh what was i afraid of yeah. like all these people making these gigantic mistakes yeah that you sh- would think would get you just kiboshed from going no, to the yeah. studio <laughs> property but i mean you know if you don't have to, I'm not saying you should like run full force into uh, a dumb situation, but like you got to kind of just suck it up. If you, you want to work in yeah. this business, you I just, mean, yeah, it's it, <laughs> that first, the first year I lived out here, I lived in, I shared an eight by eight box, like in my cousin's basement in the middle of East LA. <laughs> um, and we, I had like an unfinished shower and it was like a, I'm uh, kind of feeling it's like it's it puts the lotion on when you you describe yeah. this. <laughs> like, no, like so, so me and my but my friend like we both slept on futons, so it was a living yeah. room during the day and a bedroom at night. <laughs> and we're just saying we I mean it was cheap rent. We we each split six hundred bucks a month, and there wasn't really any bills involved, so it was great. So we we basically lived on pennies but it was enough to get us going and and i i'm grateful for my cousin yeah. for giving us that you know what i mean because right. it was like it, it just was enough to like get by and take any back when we're working those 50 dollar a day jobs and <laughs> and just I making enough i think to it's get by. good to have those stories those experiences i don't know because you're you're laughing about it it's like good no times. it was it's great like, i mean i i met my wife and she was staying with me while my buddies like <laughs> Right. And we're saying like she was the only re- I probably would would have been there for another year after if she was not didn't be like hey I don't want to like walk alone up a hill in East LA in the middle <laughs> of the night when I kind of visit you and and it's kind of tight here maybe we should get a condo so we were starting to work it yeah so it was fine but it, yeah but yeah I think it's good to have those experience and it, like I said if you want it bad enough like I would sit there and sit on my computer and I, I mean there was a great produce like. Uh, my producing class in college, there was a great uh, teacher that we had that taught us. He's like, if you're not sending out a hundred emails a day to the people that are doing the job you want to do, you're not mm-hmm. trying hard enough. Mm-hmm. So I took that to heart and I sent out a hundred emails every single day. Wow. And that's how I got 90% of mm-hmm. my first ever gigs. And some of them were free. Like the production designer who does all the Adam Sandler stuff. Like he was like, Oh, I'm doing this, this directing this thing for, if, if you want to come on for free, I was like, yeah, I'll come on for free. I'll meet you and do that. And that led to so many jobs. You know? It's and crazy. We just, we just wrapped yeah. up interns for the summer, which is kind of a bummer because right. there's a strike. So there's not yeah. much right. you, you could do and stuff. But um, we just wrapped those out. And like the exit interviews, that's always my advice. I was like, this whole town is, or probably any business, but it, I only have the perspective of entertainment. It's networking. Yeah, It's networking and helping each other out, network with others. Like it's, uh, it's really who right. you know. I well, know that's like an old phrase, but it really is who you know. And it's funny because I'm like naturally an introvert, believe it or not. So, <laughs> like, so you're so easy to talk to. But I, I'll, I'll, I'll fit like when COVID happened, I probably spent a month playing video games straight and then was like, hmm. I guess I'm a little stressed out now. <laughs> like, I guess, hey, when's this COVID thing over? You know, because, yeah. you know, I just desperately wanted to, like, be left alone and just do my thing. But 
you you do have to reach out and and that's a hard thing for a lot of artists is to get it in their brain like you're not pestering people and even if you are who cares this is this is a hundred percent it's a freelance business your face is your resume Mm -hmm. and your resume is your resume but like people lie on those they can they do Mm -hmm. it's who you know Mm -hmm. every cool job i've ever gotten was because somebody said chris is the guy so if you want to be the guy you gotta sometimes i don't like to tell people to work for free but it does happen you gotta kind of go out and show people why you're the the person Mm -hmm. and and it is how you do get your foot in the door it's just the big thing you're gonna juggle if you're starting a career out here is when am I getting an opportunity and when am I being taken advantage of? Yeah, I was saying, working for free is a big difference when you're doing it from the person that nobody's ever heard of from Craigslist and you're doing it for the prop master that just worked on Open High, that did Open right. Heimer. You know what I mean? Like, if yeah. you're just like, oh yeah, I, I all I want to do is shadow you. Like, that's a huge difference. If they're like, well, if you just want to come on and see what I'm doing, fine, then you that person knows your name. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. this person is a legend in yeah. a certain right and you just got to know that, like, Get into those people, be like, I will come on and work for you for free or just help you out or shadow you. That gets your name in the door, not necessarily, oh, this this will give you a credit and a meal and this, well, exactly. this short film. <laughs> and that's and that's where I brought up earlier, you know. When you start to feel like you're being taken advantage of, maybe find the union's uh, email address and start sending those call sheets in. Because, you know, like getting in the union, yes, there's a big jump in skill level and expectations, but you don't get to operate at those levels until you're on those sets. The people you're going to work for for free, non-union or the, for low money, like they're doing it wrong. Like that's, they're on purpose doing it wrong. That's how they're paying you nothing. That's how they're you know doing, doing whatever the, their deal is. And that's why studio features look like studio features mm-hmm. and, yeah. and non-union $200,000 movies look like that. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> I mean... <laughs> So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's good to have. I mean, not a lot of businesses have that kind of support like a union does that you can go and say, hey, this is this is why you have a union. Like, I need your support. This is what's yes. going on, you know, and um, and the unions are more approachable than they were. Yeah. So sure. it's it's something and, you know, if you want to have a career instead of just a job, that's what I always tell people. Is it a career or is it a job? Is it just a job? Then who cares? Mm-hmm. Like, get, just get another job. But. If it's your career, you want health insurance, you want a pension, you want to like make sure you can stop doing this at some point. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess as we're winding this yeah. down, I can talk. I know forever I'm about trying unions. to. You know, I was like, we've gone over <laughs> so many things. I mean, I'm I'm not sure what the schedule is when this drops, but I hope we're getting close to some agreements. But like, what's what are you looking forward to the most about getting back, other than a paycheck? Um. To use my prop master mind again. I yeah. just want to yeah. make stuff and work with people again. That's yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to... This has been nice in the sense that, you know, my son's very young, right. so it's like I get a second paternity leave, which, by the way, if you're moving here and you want to have kids, California has paternity leave. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, like, I get the do the cool thing yeah. i get to i have a trailer that i go and look at and whimsically wipe down the counter and say, you, wipe it down. <laughs> you know but it's i'm just really looking forward hopefully i get I land a cool job um i know it, there's a good chance it's going to be a, a rush back mm-hmm. um 
I just hope I land the right one. Yeah. And it's like a good crew and a good vibe. And yeah. we kind of start because the people are going to be hurting. And I know if, if we're on the other side of this, when this, this drops, you know, I hope hurt, not hurting too bad, but people mm-hmm. are going to be needing stuff. So, yeah. You know, I mean, not to, it's not to close out by being a kiss up, but it's the truth. I'm looking forward to you guys being back. Yeah. Of course. So, I mean, that's the best part of my job is, you know, making those magical moments on behalf of a, a client, a brand that can participate in the magic of what you guys are doing always makes it fun because that's what you do for brands. It's always you guys. It's not scripted all the time. It's you guys saying, Hey, I can create this moment and work with your brand. But it really truly is like, Yeah. It, it, seeing everyone, talking to everyone. I mean, you guys really are my personal inspiration. Oh. Set decorators, too. I don't want to leave you all out. Yeah, yeah. And location managers. Um, who else? Costume designers. Yeah, yeah but they but, all get, well, other locations, really, they all get Academy <laughs> Awards. So, you know what? But we're here talking props, and I'm more partial, I think. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, because you guys are the ones who really do make so You make it happen. I mean, that's why they say what's your, what their make it happen moment. Like, you're always called on to make it happen. Yeah. So, I, you know. Just be a doer. Yeah. If you want to do a prop master, just do it. Yeah. What's next? <laughs> so yeah, Mikey, what is next? Closing it out? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, um, thanks ask. thanks guys for coming in today. No worries. <laughs> really appreciate it. Um yeah. Yeah, th- thanks, Don. Yeah. Um and Chris. Chris. <laughs> and thank you to everybody out there for tuning in to another episode of Prop Talk, the official podcast of the Property Masters Guild, brought to you by Real Working and Retired Prop Masters. If this is your first time listening, please make sure to like, subscribe, and comment everywhere you're hearing this. It helps us in the algorithm, I promise. Uh if you would like to know more information on the Property Masters Guild or if you have any questions for us here at Prop Talk, we'd be happy to answer us. Go ahead and email us at info at propertymasterguild.com um, or .org. Sorry, it's .org. It's not .com. Um, or you can go ahead to propertymastersguild.org and uh, submit the question there. We're also on Instagram at underscore the PMG and all the other socials. I'm Mikey Trudell, and that is another episode of Prop Talk.